Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, one thing leads to another, and it was while we were investigating We Charity some years back that I first encountered LifeSite News. In 2014, LifeSite ran a purported expose revealing that a We Charity employee whose work put him in contact with Catholic children in their schools, their summer camps, and on trips was a homosexual. LifeSite ran the guy's name and found pictures of his weekend hobby as a performer in a campy male burlesque troupe. Their coverage described him as a, quote, gay stripper and a, quote, X-rated sex show performer. The phrase, danger to children, was used. In response to LifeSite's coverage, a number of Catholic schools told We Charity that this guy was no longer welcome. We Charity says that they did offer him a different job, but he resigned. And then LifeSite published a victorious follow-up piece. So that was my introduction to LifeSite, an ultra-conservative, homophobic Christian news org founded right here in Toronto. I made a mental note to one day take a closer look at them, and then, to be honest, I kind of forgot about them. And while I wasn't looking, LifeSite mutated. Here are some headlines on their homepage right now. Pregnant doctor celebrates taking COVID vaccine tragically miscarries days later. Texas power outage is a warning about green energy reliance and globalist control. Grocer in Toronto with mask optional policy defends freedom, human dignity. Petition, 
fire Fauci and investigate him now, exclamation mark. Here's one last one. In the army of the one who wins in all God's battles. The site is anti-vax, anti-mask, anti-pope, anti-abortion, and anti-globalist. It marries Trumpism and QAnon conspiracy theory with what is called traditionalist Catholicism. It imagines its right-thinking readers as crusaders in a holy info war. And it remains virulently homophobic. Here are some clips from videos published by LifeSite News. I'm Doug Mainwaring, a journalist for LifeSite News, battling on behalf of human life and dignity and against the evils of the sexual revolution. It is true that those with homosexual interests have uh, a very strong impact on child molestation. Homosexuality is an intrinsically disordered sexual drive. Just like the temptation to any sin, these drives are to be fought against, and giving in to them brings us to sin. Gay normalization turns things upside down. Not I am crazy, but the rest of you are. What you have in family life is, with the presence of homosexuality, the amount of homosexual incest has increased. Now, I only learned about LifeSite's convergence with the wider extreme right infosphere when my guest today, Hazel Woodrow, published an investigation of them on antihate.ca, the website of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. In that piece, Woodrow describes LifeSite as a Christian version of Breitbart, a megaphone for a movement against LGBTQ people, a site which has also become a platform for anti-Semites, Islamophobes, white nationalists, a site that encouraged its readers to join the January 6th insurrection in Washington. LifeSite's president, Steve Jalsovac, vigorously denies the characterization of his website as hate speech, and his responses to Hazel Woodrow, quoted at length in her article, are really something. But he declined to share those responses here by giving us an interview. Hazel Woodrow, however, joins me in a moment to discuss the biggest Canadian news site you may have never heard of. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Catherine Hiller-Stevens, Lee Elliott, Bill Evans, Danielle Raza, Jessica Simpson, Noah Pasco, Raphael titsworth Morin, and David Skolnick. Hi, I'm David. I'm a musician in Mississauga, and I support Canada Land because I really appreciate learning about underreported issues like 1492 Land Back Lane, and I really appreciated the recent Uyghur episode. And I also appreciate keeping up the fight and digging the investigation into the We Charity and also with the rebel media. Thanks. Hi, Hazel. Hello, Jesse. What is LifeSite News? So LifeSite News is a international, traditionalist, Catholic, far-right media outlet that was founded by the Canadian anti-abortion lobbying group Campaign Life Coalition. And according to LifeSite News U.S. tax returns, in a year, they estimate that they reach an audience of about 20 million people through approximately 4,000 articles a year published. And they are a pretty substantial player in the international far-right. They report on issues and events and policies all over the world. They have uh, U.S. and Canadian entities, but is this a Canadian media organization? 
It was initially a Canadian media organization. In, in the mid-2000s, they split from being under the direction and control of Campaign Life Coalition and opened a, an outlet in the States. And now they are both separate incorporated entities. There's overlap in their boards of directors. On their website, there's an option to view from different parts of the world, including Canada or the U.S. or worldwide. It's largely the same content, and if not, the same content. It's directly similar themes and concerns. I mean, 4,000 pieces of, uh, of media a year, that's like more than 10 articles a day. I don't know how we verify the 20 million a year, but we, we can certainly see the amount of content they put out. Like just that alone makes them kind of a large, like as far as non-mainstream Canadian news sources go, that's, that's a lot of content from a Canadian media company. Absolutely. And I can say that having reported on them a few times now, uh, once back in 2020 and once, and obviously recently, the sheer volume of material that they produce actually makes it quite difficult to manage and to, to really sort through and find out like, what are they actually trying to say? and who is saying it. So I have no doubt that our article certainly did not capture the full scope and scale of their operation and of the extent of their beliefs about various protected groups. What can you tell me about the group from which um, LifeSite News was born? LifeSite News was founded in Canada in 1997 with a staff that included their current president, Steve Jelcevic, and their current editor-in-chief, John Henry Weston. And they are they were created by Campaign Life Coalition, which is a political lobbyist group. The latest that we have, or having registered specific lobbyists, is about 2013. And the Campaign Life Coalition also focused on producing media. So you have Campaign Life Coalition generating LifeSite News, which was the online media outlet, as well as Interim, which was their newspaper. Now, Campaign Life Coalition no longer controls or runs LifeSite News. There is still overlap in their board of directors, being that you have Steve Jelcevic is still involved in Campaign Life Coalition. And the approach that Campaign Life Coalition takes was described by this really fantastic writer who I, I read a lot of his material, T.W. Lafferty. And he's a conservative Catholic who is concerned about the state of Catholic media. And so he's described Campaign Life Coalition, LifeSite News, the interim as militant crusader type pro-life activism. So they take a sort of broader view of the whole of these issues of abortion, of same-sex marriage. You know, same-sex marriage has been legal in Canada now for many years. And so they've sort of shifted their concerns a little bit to trans rights. But seeing these as part of like a war on the institutions of the family and of marriage and seeing those institutions as being intrinsically, they would say Judeo-Christian. How did a news site that seems to just be trying to provide Catholics with news from a Catholic perspective come across your radar as an investigator of hate in Canada? So I grew up in a fairly uh, traditionalist Catholic household. So I actually grew up reading the reading LifeSite News and reading The Interim. And those were essentially like my primary sources of media socialization as a kid. And so this was this has been something that I've been aware of for a very, very long time. And really? Yeah. 
like it, was that was that like something that was a popular news organization like in your family or, yeah. or did you oh, come yeah, across yeah. it independently? No, no, no. This is very much. Yeah. The other thing is that you don't need a subscription to the interim. They'll just sort of start sending it to you if you if you're on certain mailing lists and whatnot, kind of gifted. So yeah, this was, you know, there were interims on our living room table. Yeah, it was very much the way we were socialized. Life site as well. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Growing up reading Life site, what was your initial uh, impression of it? I saw it as being a, you know, a trustworthy source of information. And it was always understood that like that they were, yeah, a trustworthy organization that reflected the values of our faith and were writing about issues that like no one else was writing about. And and now you've published a piece, I guess, squarely identifying them as a source of, of really hatred. Yes. What makes them qualify as such? If you look at the articles that they print and the ways that they describe protected groups who they disagree with, like their existence almost, like describing gays, uh, particularly gay men, as having this like radical propensity for sexual violence. For example, multiple articles that I just gathered like this morning preparing to chat with you. Report shows link between homosexuality and child abuse, pedophilia and incest justified by the homosexuality mindset, link between homosexuality and pedophilia. And I think that those concerns are are largely responding to the the sexual abuse crisis in the Catholic Church. But when we look at what how how we define a hate, a hate group or, or someone who promotes hate as a group that uh, demonstrates by statements or by its leaders or activities that is overly hateful towards or and this is really important creates an environment over of overt hatred towards an identifiable group. And while you know, in his email response to me, the president, Steve Jelcevic, said, we really do care immensely for people with sexual identity issues. But, you know, as a queer person myself, I can definitely say that I do not feel cared about in the slightest by LifeSite News. And I think that even if they, if they truly believe in what they write out of this love for these, like, quote unquote, people with sexual identity issues, they're also essentially promoting discrimination against people who are LGBT and that they're promoting the exclusion of us and and of others. You found within their content just copious anti-queer propaganda. The the quotes like homo tyranny is upon us, uh, an LGBT reign of terror. You found reference to the military described as a playground for sexual predators, a veritable smorgasbord of victims for homosexuals on the prowl. I know you also found instances of, of um, Islamophobia and I think platforming of anti-Semites, maybe more so than direct Jew bashing, but there's a little ambiguity in the way that LifeSite writes about gay people which is more than, it, it, it does seem to go beyond a strict religious interpretation that this is sinful, but, but describes this, this threat, that there's this, 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 uh, this tyr- tyrannical predatory threat that is upon us. Absolutely. So with respect to that particular article about the quote-unquote male-on-male rape epidemic in Obama's, quote, pro-deviancy military, 
the way that Brian Fisher describes homosexuality in the article is as an infamous crime against nature. He says that there are a host of pathologies associated with male homosexual conduct, including a proclivity towards sexual violence, refers to the military, the American military becoming a cesspool of homosexual degeneracy. So really, yeah, I mean, I, I think that these are ultimately pretty hateful, uh, heinous ways to describe something. They're certainly not ways to describe something that you have compassion or love for, even if you disagree with it. And when we reached out to Steve Jelsevec for comment, I specifically purported that, that LifeSite News had made a series of assertions with the content that they produce. And rather than take the position of, you know, we, our authors have their own opinions and they are not necessarily the opinions of LifeSite News, Mr. Jelzevic didn't say anything like that um, and at no point disavowed the opinions of any of his reporters or cross-posted content. His response to you is kind of extraordinary, but he maintains that there's nothing hateful about LifeSite News. And he takes the position that, uh, as you put it, people who are confused in their sexual identities um, are welcome within his philosophy and can be reformed, which suggests to me kind of a conversion therapy, kind of a mindset. I, I, I want to say something, though, to uh, any Catholic listeners who might feel like they're being disparaged by this, there is some space between LifeSite's interpretation of Catholicism and, I guess, mainstream Catholic thought and politics, if we can assume that the Pope represents Catholic thought. Like, they're not really into the Pope. No, I, that's, that's something that's very, very important to emphasize, and I really appreciate that you brought it up, because these are not at all mainstream Catholic views. They're, you're right that they're exceptionally critical of Pope Francis. This is not your, your mainstream Catholicism. It has a significant reach. And so there's always the possibility of more people turning to this really ultra-traditionalist interpretation of the church. But it, I'm absolutely not writing about all Catholics or even, I, I hope, most Catholics in this article. Traditional Catholicism is, is how they refer to their their type of Catholicism? I, I don't know that I've seen, you know, Steve Jelsevic or John Henry Weston specifically say, like, I am a traditionalist Catholic, but that is very much the overarching theology that is reflected by their content. And to provide a really quick explainer on what that means, traditionalist Catholicism generally has this nostalgia and longing for and ultimate belief in the practices, liturgical practices and traditions and social teachings of the Catholic Church prior to Vatican II. And so Vatican II was this council that was sort of concerned with reassessing and reconsidering what the Catholic Church's place was in in society and, and the Church's place in the world. And so some of the Things that, you know, traditionalist Catholics often practice or, or enthusiastic towards would be the, the Tridentine Mass. So that's said entirely in Latin, as opposed to, you know, most Masses today, which are, are said in whatever local regional dialect is spoken. Women wearing veils in church, receiving communion on the tongue instead of the hands. But I think probably the traditionalist teaching that LSN, or LifeSite News, reflects most broadly is this belief in there being a existential conflict between the church and the world and there being this sense of spiritual warfare and 
criticism and concern about the church being of the world. So the church allegedly changing policies to fit more with the times when their understanding is that the church is absolutely called to not be of the world and to be against secularism and largely the things that the the secular world stands for. I'm so intrigued by your personal story of coming to a different understanding about LifeSite, um, maybe as you came to a, an understanding about yourself. I'm wondering, wh- what is the, the point at which your, your, your view of LifeSite News changed? I think probably it would be around the time that I uh, came to understand myself as a queer person, um, that I, I started being um, alarmed by the content um, that was coming out of LifeSite News. Um, and for, you know, this is actually the first time, writing this article is the first time since I, um, God, probably since I was in high school, that I actually um, am reading, like made a practice of like sitting down to read their content because uh, I, I find it to be personally extremely upsetting. Um to read and to know that that was part of my uh, formation um, as a person and my understanding of myself. I spent a lot of time thinking about whether I was going to be open about this being the origin story and that I came to this work from the lived experience of having espoused a lot of those beliefs myself and, and having not just read the content, but like I participated in life chains and I told people that, you know, gay people shouldn't get married and that abortion murders children. Like I did that for a very long time. So it, it wasn't just that I read it and then did nothing with it. I very much acted on on those, uh, on that information. I guess if you read that kind of material, it really does demand action, doesn't it? If, if, you're, if you are reading that, you know, unborn babies are, are being killed. Absolutely. That's a really good way of, of, of thinking about it. Um, and I think of thinking about it that's different than a lot of pro-life organizations or pro-life websites, that LifeSite News demands action. And I think that the uh, examples of them, you know, saying if you are within striking distance of the Capitol, show up on January 6th. The call to action is there. Well, we open by, by talking about their encouragement of their readers to attend the U.S. Capitol on January 6th and to like in their words, uh, defend the election and call upon uh, senators to defend the election. And in one piece about that, in, in which the, the reader was explicitly encouraged to attend those events, one of their writers, who is the president of the Population Research Institute, Stephen Mosher, wrote, It is said that death concentrates the mind. The chance from the massive crowd will surely concentrate the minds of Republican senators as they realize the people are watching. If they hold the line, they will win plaudits from the crowd. But should they vote against the most popular president in recent American history, they will be committing political suicide. So they clarify that we're talking about like political suicide here so that, you know, their careers will be ruined. But it's undeniable that this is pretty violent language. And, and that converted, I guess, pretty fluidly to storming the Capitol. I think for uh, some of their readers, it may have. 
This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now, and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. An interesting thing about LifeSite News to me through the years has been that they do seem to employ reporters who do engage in reporting. I mean, their their editorial focus is often very different than anything uh, that, that we would publish. And the way that they frame stories or the conclusions that they reach are different. But they do seem to be, um, you know, as I remembered them, engaged in finding stories about Canadian culture and politics, calling up people, uh, some basis in fact, getting quotes from people involved. They were practicing, you know, the 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 the, the trade of journalism to you know to to their ends. Um, and it was always interesting to me that, that this was you know kind of an um, an underknown news outlet to people outside of their intended audience. And I always sort of thought, well, one day we're going to have to get around to covering them. What I didn't realize, Hazel, uh, until your your research was published was just how much they've shifted uh, when I wasn't paying attention. And what I learned fr from your piece is that they are now firmly within a culture of QAnon conspiracy, uh, an anti-mask, an anti-vaccine conspiracy, and they had feet on the ground in the coup attempt in the insurgency in, in Washington. So that, that happened while I wasn't looking, but they, they, they seem to be like fully in the tank with QAnon. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's so many uh, particularly like QAnon lingo words that I could have spent days searching their archives for. Um, I could say comfortably that the themes of deep state, they are very big fans of the Archbishop Vigano, uh, who is referred to a deep church the similar implications of uh, like infiltration and people in the church really being bad actors, essentially. And you're right that it, it has absolutely taken this really horrifying conspiratorial turn. I'm also looking at the site right now, and there's one that is, I guess, a, a link out to another site that is how to obtain and safely use hydroxychloroquine, uh, which is just like... <laughs> shocking that a that this organization is taking it upon themselves to direct their readers towards a drug with so many known side effects and and justified concerns with the anti-vax stuff in particular there's a really specific way that hardcore pro-life people come at uh vaccination which is concerns about fetal tissue being used in the development of vaccine lines. And I'm, I'm not a biologist and I don't know all of the details about this, but that's the particular 
direction that that concern comes from. So it, it makes sense that they would be sensationalizing that. And it also ideologically makes sense that they would that they would have genuine concerns about that. Is that the road that took them there? I mean, we, we've looked at this through a different publication, Epoch Times, that they somehow found a way to a pro-Trump propaganda voice from a position that was originally just very critical of the Chinese government. Now you've got LifeSite News. Also, it's, it's sort of like all roads lead to, you know, I know that QAnon is referred to as sort of like the conspiracy theory of conspiracy theories, like everything. Yeah, the big tech. Right. Like yeah. it all, every anti-deep state, global, you know, lizard people, Freemasons, it, it all comes together. And I wonder if it wasn't just like, that's where the clicks are. Were you able to like pinpoint, like, when did this happen? When did, when did LifeSite go, go full QAnon? I think that the publishing of Bishop Vigano's, uh, I believe, initially June 2020 letter to Donald Trump, an open letter where he talks about this deep state, deep church connection. I see that as being worth marking. You bring up the Epoch Times, which which comes at this pro-Trump ideology from an anti-CCP perspective. A kind of similar thing has happened with LifeSite News, that they are very, very firmly entrenched in anti-communist ideology. So in the article, I talk about them platforming and favorably referring to this organization called Tradition, Family and Property, which is allegedly a essentially an anti-communist organization. And so they sort of frame their criticism of China and of, you know, China's response to the coronavirus and then Donald Trump's response to China's response to the coronavirus under that anti-communist ideology. I'm, I'm just looking at one article now that is full of these like rhetorical questions. And the headline is, is the coronavirus a bioweapon? Does COVID-19 cause more serious infections among non-Chinese races? It's hard to say since almost all of the information coming out of China is fabricated for political purposes, but we can't rule out the possibility. And they do a lot of those rhetorical questions in all kinds of their coverage of like, is it too much to say that the quote homosexual mindset might lead to pedophilia and incest? Who's to say? It, it's not their homophobia, Hazel, that got them kicked off of um, oh, absolutely. You, nope. YouTube. It, it, it's the conspiracy stuff. It's the anti-vax stuff yes. that, that got them. And it's their, it's their egging on the, the, the riot and the insurgency in Washington. And now they've kind of met the same fate as so many of these different um, right-wing, extreme right-wing media sites where they've been deplatformed. But I guess it's the, 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 the anti-queer stuff. That wasn't the problem. No. And I have to say that as a queer woman, that's a little hard to swallow, knowing how much was allowed to remain on the platform, like that we can't, we can't see anymore and we can't dig in and see to what extent there was. But knowing that it was pretty awful, that that wasn't enough. Now, what is the intent in publishing your research as you have? I mean, Canadian anti-hate laws prohibit speech in a very limited way that a lot of people, I think, don't fully appreciate, that, that for it to actually cross the line to be illegal hate speech, it's not enough to um, say something negative about LGBTQ people. It, it's got to go to the point of, like, inciting hatred or discrimination. Like, like it's got to be pointed towards action. LifeSite seems to me to be abhorrent content that seems quite legal. I, I, I don't like agree with 
you know, the, even within mainstream Catholicism, uh, the, the positions that the, the Catholic Church has on many things. Um, but I, I, I accept that they have the right to hold those positions and to have a newspaper or, you know, a digital news source to report from that perspective. I think one of the main reasons why, you know, before actually digging in and really seeing like how bad it is and how much it kind of does tow a line in terms of what it what would be considered hate promotion in Canada was just knowing that comparison to your Breitbart or Rebel and having talked to, you know, anti-fascist friends of mine who had never heard of LifeSite News before and had no idea that this existed. I went into this initially wanting to point a light on this and wanting people who are alarmed at what comes out of Breitbart or Rebel to also be alarmed at what comes out of LifeSite News and to appreciate that just because their or their target audience is more exclusive almost uh, than, than more secular institutions uh, or organizations, that that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be keeping an eye on them. Particularly, I think, when we consider the political implications of this kind of content and who, even if it's not a lot of people, if it's the right people who are reading this and adopting this mindset, we could be in a lot of trouble. You did reach out to LifeSite's president and co-founder, Steve Jelsovac. Yeah. His responses were extensive and pretty interesting to read. It, it seems like, just to read from this, he kind of throws back at you, well, what is a white nationalist? That is a hateful leftist ideological term. He similarly asks, what is a far-right conspiracy? Really now? He says there is a growing Satanism movement and that sexual abuse of children is and always has been a part of some who are involved in Satanism. Is that not hate? He says there, you know, there is a deep state. There is a deep church. He questions all of these terms themselves before before really engaging with your questions. He, uh, you know, what what is a right wing conspiracy? He kind of rhetorically throws back at you. I guess it would be fair to characterize his response writ large as kind of a like, what are you talking about? Who, me? Like, this is just a bunch of jargon you're throwing at me. I, th I think that is, you know, just, just a des descriptive um, summary of his response. What did you make of that uh, on the whole? So ha as someone who, who read a lot of, a lot of LifeSite news in my time as a young traditionalist Catholic, I could say I saw almost all of it coming, or at least I wasn't shocked by most of it. I was shocked by the fact that it was 2,200 words, but I wasn't really surprised by the content, especially like, oh, we actually love gay people. We just hate their lifestyle, whatever. The, you're right, those rhetorical questions of, well, what is white nationalism? And what is anti-Semitism? And what is right-wing conspiracy? That surprised me. And my first thought when I saw that was like, aren't you the one who, aren't you like the people that hate postmodernism so much? And, you know, <laughs> like, you're like, do you want to do some deconstructionism, Steve? Because like, we can do that. Uh, but that's what it, how it read to me was like, I, I thought that you're so big on like words have meanings and the dictionary is the Bible. So it was, it was surprising that they didn't particularly to my questions about favorable coverage of, of white nationalists. That was surprising that how that was dodged 
almost entirely, and, and then described as a hateful leftist ideological term. So coming real close to saying that calling someone a white nationalist is a slur, which is just like upside down moon logic. Well, these are games I'm a little familiar with. I mean, the, this is the sort of tactics, the trolling and the kind of judo flipping that like your Lauren Southerns and Faith Goldies, like let, let's try to use identity politics against the lefties. Where is this left? Because, you know, Trump, Trump's gone. LifeSite is kicked off of some of its biggest platforms. You might suggest that they've crusted and now it's fading away. What do you think? I am not so uh, hopeful about that. I think that like the fact that after being kicked off various platforms were suspended from various platforms temporarily, that they were directing their readers to platforms like Gab and Parler is a bad sign. Also, if you look at the the growth that they've made over the last several years, it is astonishing how much they have financially grown. Uh, in, in Canada, it's a lot harder to come across the financial records of nonprofits that aren't charities. Because in the States, they're, they're, they're not a charity, but they are a uh, nonprofit. And as such, they have to disclose a lot of financial information. Oh, in the States, they are a charity. They're a 501c3. Oh, they are a charity in the States. I see. Yeah. So it, it, for going from 2015, where they made 861,000 in the same category of grants and contributions to 2018 in the span of four years, up to 1.6 million. So nearly doubling what they were receiving in grants and contributions in the matter of four years. They've got a lot to work with and they have a lot of different ways of reaching people that aren't necessarily just on on social media. Well, you know what I noticed just as a publisher, um, I mean, similar to our site, there's no advertising on the website. And what, what, what you know from their disclosures is that this is uh, their donation based, their direct supporter based, getting kicked off of um, YouTube for all of their boasting about um, their millions of visitors and whatnot. You know, looking at their Facebook page, they, they got like 40,000 likes. Th their average post seems to have like five shares. I don't think that they're making a lot of money off of clicks on YouTube. I think that they're making money off of off of true believers opening up their wallets. And it does occur to me that getting deplatformed fits very nicely into their philosophy that there is a war. Very much so. Right? Like yep. like that that actually feels like it would fuel It contributes to the persecutory complex. Uh-huh. And that's not something that's exclusive to LifeSite. I think that, that that sense of of grievance and, and persecution is something that uh, pretty much anybody who's getting thrown off of platforms is weaponizing that to fill their coffers. Yeah, every article ends with an ask for donations. And another thing is that they send a daily email blast, which will do a lot. So you don't have to be on Facebook or YouTube or any social media for LifeSite News to be the very first thing that you read in the morning. Hazel Woodrow, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Jesse. It's been lovely talking to you. That is your Canada land. You will feel good if you support us in making the show and you will not feel the economic stress of it because like you can do so for as little as five bucks a month. It's just a click in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join and we'll give you some stuff for supporting us. Go check out that link and you'll see what. 
You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand, and our website is at CanadaLand.com, where you'll find other podcasts we make like Wag the Dug and Commons, which is wrapping up its terrific season on policing in Canada. Jeremy Kessler produced this episode. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like this show, please support it.